On the Crosstalk on WIZM, I'm Mike Hayes. You have heard an awful lot on and off about research being done, ways to try and identify and uh, treat and maybe kill uh, COVID-19. Our guest on the Crosstalk on WIZM working on uh, a process called gene sequencing. May be able to shed some smaller word uh, explanation as to how that all works. Dr. Polrick Kenny from Gunderson Health System. Good morning. Thanks very much for talking with us. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, please help us understand what is gene sequencing and how might it help this whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic end? Okay. Well, let me put it in a little bit of context here for us locally. So about two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, Gunderson, my colleague Steve Callister here, brought on a clinical test for detecting who's positive and who's negative for COVID-19. Lots of other places around the country have that, and that's, you know, really going to be one of the major helps we have for mitigating this epidemic. That combined with work with our public health departments to trace the contacts of infected people. So what we've done here at Gunderson is adapt some of our cancer gene sequencing technology that we've become quite adept with over the years to sequence the entire genomes of these coronaviruses from some of the patients that we have here locally who are infected with this disease. So basically... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, keep going. No, no, I didn't want to interrupt you. I, I okay. am full of questions. <laughs> right. So the, basically the genome of this virus, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a long string of what we call RNA that lives inside the virus and contains all of the instructions on how to make the virus and make the virus do what it does. This string of letters is 29,903 letters long, and we're able to basically analyze all of that in the laboratory. It's like, it's like a long instruction manual for making a virus. But the key thing for us to know is that when the virus infects somebody, it makes a copy of itself before it can move on and infect the next person. And the virus is pretty good at copying that genome accurately, but it's not exceptionally good. So occasionally that virus will make a spelling mistake in one of those 29,000 and some letters. And every new person who's infected by that particular virus after that is going to carry that same letter mistakenly placed at that position in the viral genome. So by looking at the genome and reading this full long list of letters, we can identify differences between the viruses that are affecting different people. And if you identify a bunch of people who have the exact same substrain of the virus, which we define by all of these letters, you can be pretty sure that they have a common source of infection. So if if I understand what you just said, COVID-19 could be represent is being represented by by a bunch of different i don't know many many different strains is that correct yeah that that's right so we we are part of an, a large international collaboration now all over the world that's mapping the viral strains that that are popping up so we have this, this, this group has collectively sequenced about 2,900 viral genomes. We've contributed 10 wow. here in La Crosse. There's a 560 60 or so have been done already in the United States. So the, the fraction that La Crosse is contributing to this international effort is pretty large, considering we only have 22 or 23 cases here in the county. Well, and it's interesting to me that with 29,000 different versions of COVID-19, are they all equally as potentially deadly? 
So that's that's a good question we're asking. So there's, so there, just to, to step back a little bit, there's 29,000 letters in this genome, you know, A's and C's and G's and T's, so we don't yet have 29,000 different varieties of the virus. It seems there's probably five or six main classes of the virus circulating, and we don't really know as yet whether any of those strains are clinically meaningfully different for the patients who, who actually experience ah, okay. them. But, but this is a very active of area of uh, research around the world right now. What we do think, however, is that as new therapies and possibly vaccines are introduced to combat this, this virus, that then, you know, the genome sequencing will become quite important because you can imagine a situation where we do get an, effect, an effective treatment and many, many strains of the virus are snuffed out, but maybe one or two of the strains, you know, that are just that little bit different won't be um, treated as well and as effectively, and they may then start to come to dominate in the, in the population. So the type of technology we have here at Gunderson is really well set up both to help right now in our community and helping our public health officials figure out how the cases that we have in the county right now are related. So to help them better intervene to try to, to snuff out transmission here locally. And then going forward as the virus changes, if, if it does change significantly as the epidemic goes on, we should be in a position to help with that as well. Then do you identify these various strains with something less than than thousands of letters in a row, but when you find a cure, uh, the cure then has an impact on one or two or all of the various strains. I mean, the, except the, the as hope, you mentioned, maybe one or the, two the, hidden. Yeah, the, the hope is that the cure will be effective for all, or, or, or at least very much most of the strains. So one of the one of the, the things we're doing is just mapping how where the constant regions are and where the more variable regions are across this 29,000 letters. So figuring out which pieces of that genome are very, very important for the virus to keep the same will help guide which pieces of the virus we should be thinking about to pick, you know, for vaccine design and things like that. So you want to be targeting something that's not going to be changing pretty quickly if you want an effective vaccine that will hopefully last for, you know, many, many years. So of 26,000 letters, there are groups of letters in a row that are constant, that in every single person who has contracted and recovered from or contracted and died from COVID-19 have a variety of, of similar sequences of letters. Is that correct? Yeah. That, that, that's correct. I mean, all, all of these, sub, you know, what we call substrains are very, very similar under the hood, but they just have, have small minor differences that we can detect. We're currently trying to figure out how important they might be clinically. So, the, and I, I've heard also about uh, the benefits of the blood from uh, any of those people who contracted and survived COVID-19. They may have antibodies that would help uh, in the search for a cure. Is that something that you guys are working on or you're doing different research? We, we are doing different research, but that's, that's the whole concept of convalescent plasma. And I think you described it you know, probably better than I could. And I think that's, you know, there's some exciting clinical trials going on right now. I know there's one going on in New York City where there, you know, these places that have a, a lot of people who've been infected with the virus are probably the best place to go to think about getting, you know, large numbers of recovered people together to test if something like that might work. Well, and I'd heard 
last week or recently enough that I still remember about herd immunity and the fact that California doesn't have nearly the number of cases as New York, even though it is as populated uh, uh, as uh, New York City, for instance. But uh, the number of cases considerably lower, maybe because herd immunity has taken place and so many Californians have been exposed to a variety of COVID-19, as we've talked about before, asymptomatic uh, and simply recover, not knowing that they had a potentially deadly virus. They just got over it and moved on. Are those people also then part of a study to find out whether their blood can cure this in other people? Uh, I mean, I think those studies are ongoing. I don't know about particular groups in California, whether whether they've been involved. And, you know, it's, it's also interesting. We do see in our studies that the strains that are present on the West Coast are quite different from the ones that are present on the East Coast. Uh-huh. But here in La Crosse, when we analyze them, we really seem to have a mix of the two. I mean, as, as befitting our, our, our place kind of in the middle of the country. So it seems, sure. you know, we, we've had introductions of the virus here from, you know, several different places. Uh, so, Doctor, how long will it be before you have a cure for us? Uh, I'm afraid finding a cure for this, this scourge on humanity is a bit outside of my wheelhouse. Uh, all, all, you know, oh. all you know, we can do right now here, you know, for our particular research team, is you know, work carefully on diagnosis and try to help our colleagues in Gunderson and, and in Mayo and in the public health department to try to mitigate the impact of this disease here in our region. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that helps you understand the complexity of this kind of research. It's not, uh, it's not nearly as simple to do as it is to say.